Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 375, Clarifying Fasting. So as we approach the end of the year, a lot of us are starting to plan for ways to set up accountability for wellness and maybe even looking for weight loss results. This can look like setting up a personal trainer, a meal delivery program, signing up for our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program as just a couple of examples. Um, In any capacity, it's always important to not just jump on like a one-size-fits-all trend and to approach your goals with a customized way that is unique to you. And one area where we see this as especially important is fasting. Today's episode is going to talk about why obesity is deeper than calories in and calories out. And most importantly, we'll dig into different types of fast, who is an ideal candidate for what type of fasting, as well as who should not fast and instead might need a metabolic refeed. Yes, I think that that concept of prioritizing meeting your protein and refeeding earlier in the day versus restrictive eating is really dynamic for a lot of individuals. And I can't tell you how many people, especially postmenopausal women that I've rescued in clinic that are doing like an OMOD or cycling in a 24-hour water fast, all the while their hormones are crashing and suppressed, their cortisol is off the charts or completely depleted, and they're not seeing the results. And you know, that's constantly that thing. If you're doing the same thing and not yielding results, you need to shift it up. And I think that too many people are married to that concept of, well, if I just restrict further, if I just reduce my calories longer, that eventually my body's just going to wake up and burn the fat. And they're instead seeing this scarcity metabolic response Mm -hmm. where their body is holding on for dear life to any molecule of fat. And the second that they refeed, packing on the pounds again and actually yielding weight gain versus their goals of weight loss in the first place. Yes, totally. Um, So we have plenty of episodes um, in the past where we've talked about fasting. Um, The ones that come to mind are episode 63, way back when, um, all about intermittent fasting. Then we did 148 on fasting and mTOR and 259, how to do a bone broth fast as well as fasting updates. So those would be good episodes to go and check things out. Although it sounds like today we're going to shake it up and we might have a slightly different approach. For sure. I think that's always a good sign of a skilled practitioner or a good practitioner is one that's able to, you know, redefine their principles or their practice or their approach in clinic as they see more case studies, as they have more aha moments, and as they continue to scour up-to-date research and really dig into this N equals one or individualized approach. And I think one of the biggest things that we'll talk about today is 
the fact that, you know, women go through 28 day cycles. So we're having fluctuations of hormone with testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, not to mention follicular stimulating hormone and, and luteal hormone, our luteinizing hormone. And men are stagnant with the same hormone expression mm -hmm. every single day. Uh, and so when we look at metabolic research of the impact of fasting, we really have to start to iron out or I guess toggle or kind of comb through the data that's relevant to women and then how we would approach this to different seasons of our life. And really the first thing to ask is when people say, well, is that a fast anyway? It's like, well, why are you fasting? What results are you looking to see or what biomarkers are you looking to see change? And then I'll answer your question of, is this a fast? Right, right. Yeah. Why am I doing it is always a good question to yes. reflect back on. And if you can't answer it, it might not be something <laughs> the you need most to supportive do. thing for you. Yes, yes totally. totally. So before we dig into all that, I want to share with you listeners that we are approaching the start of our 12-week Food as Medicine Ketosis class that launches on January 10th. We have about 30 spaces left, and this is limited to a 100-person audience, which is still quite intimate. Both Becky and I are the only moderators. We don't like fish you off to interns. You're going to be directly supported by Becky and myself throughout this entire 12-week program. And what's unique about this year in 2024 for the program is that we have weekly versus bi-weekly classes. So every other week, Becky and I will co-facilitate a deep dive functional medicine topic this will dig into cardiometabolic health, into hormones, into process of detoxification, uh, into concepts like leaky gut and dysbiosis, and even into the HPA axis and how stress can interfere with our blood sugar balance and weight gain. But then on the other weeks, I will be meeting with live participants for an hour to do an Ask Allie Anything troubleshooting approach. So I may be, if desired, reviewing someone's labs and taking them on as a case study. I might be toggling and discussing pros and cons of different supplement strategies or adjusting your macros by increasing your protein or lowering your fat or potentially toggling how you're approaching fasting and time-restricted eating. So we're super stoked to kind of bring this support element more to life. In those every other classes, we'll have your mics activated, so it'll be more conversational, very engaging. And then we still will also have our Slack, which is our non-social media-based chat forum for class participants, where they can include favorite recipes or recipe modification questions in our food inspiration panel. Um, there's also a channel on there about functional medicine and supplements. There's a channel on mastering macros and fasting and keto questions, and then also a general channel. And so this is a great place to kind of push out your questions and Becky and I directly address it. For only $3.99, you get access to our brains for over three months. You get 12 classes and that access to that troubleshooting Slack platform and still so much more. Yes. Um, I want to read some of the results from our participants of this last go around from our Slack channel, actually. Um, so one of our participants, we were kind of troubleshooting with her um, because she came into the class to lose the last 10 pounds and she got through most of the program and hadn't seen, she'd seen other results, sleeping better, um, just feeling, you know, more energized in her body, but weight really stayed stagnant. And so we troubleshot with her. Um, she actually did a 10 day detox overlapped with 
um, the keto program. And she was also having some like weird, um, dysregulated lipids mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and so she did the 10 day detox and saw 5.5 pounds down. She'll be redoing her blood panel in a couple of months as a follow-up to her annual wellness exam and looking forward to improved results. Um, so super exciting there. Another participant said total weight loss, 29.7 pounds. So almost 30 pounds mm-hmm. in 12 weeks. Amazing. Yes. Um, and then one more who um, had her husband kind of do the program with her. Um, I had to share this. My husband is at the doctor right now. He has lost 40 pounds and his blood pressure is 140 over 81. I'm doing a happy dance. I'm talking 20 years of him eating home cooked, quote unquote, healthy meals, sometimes starving and never losing. He also had non-alcoholic fatty liver diagnosis. This has been a long journey. I'm so grateful I found your program. We have even gone to an acupuncturist because no other docs were even advising on his weight. He is really excited to start the 10-day detox and he's you know, starting to see reversal also of that non-alcoholic fatty liver, which is super exciting. Amazing, amazing. So we can see remarkable weight loss results as we saw with the almost 30 pounds and the 40 pounds in this gentleman. And we can also see that fine-tooth combing toggling of the five pounds with the individual that you first spoke about. But I will say that we do see amazing results in some capacity with all participants. So again, 300 for this entire three-month program. You also will get savings on labs and supplements. So for many participants, that pays for itself right there. And then we do have individual protocols for various needs. So we have protocols if dealing with an autoimmune condition, if dealing with a adrenal or thyroid concern, if looking for fertility, if dealing with estrogen dominance, as well as a breastfeeding mama or a pregnancy modified protocol where we keep you more low glycemic and that can be used very successfully to manage gestational diabetes. So although we call this a 12-week food is medicine ketosis class, many participants will actually troubleshoot keto. They will test their metabolic flexibility. We'll even play with carb cycling and some will come out staying low glycemic. Some will stay out staying keto strong. And either way, our goal is to empower you to understand how to use metabolism to best support whole body health and to understand what dials to toggle or approach so that you can use this information and education throughout the entire span of your life. Yes. All right. Can't wait to see y'all there. You can head on over to AllieMillerRD.com and um, look at the top banner. Actually, the keto class will be right there right now um, as we're filling it and you can grab your spot. All right. Uh, Before we jump into fasting, let's have a word from today's sponsor, Carnivore Snacks. So Carnivore Snacks provides us two ingredients of delicious, just straight up meat and Redmond Real Salt. So they have been referred to as a meat pastry as the way that they slow dehydrate creates this truly mouth mouth melting, excuse me, mouth melting texture. And I kind of rolled that because I'm already starting to water in my mouth as I'm thinking of carnivore snacks. Uh, They are a really fantastic brand that prioritizes regenerative agriculture. In fact, they do ensure that there's land to market verified Alan Savary's, uh, Savary's Institute, where they measure soil and carbon emissions and confirm that there is sequestering of carbon from the U.S. regenerative ag 
farmers that they work with and those selections will be tagged on the bag. Um, the texture is amazing. This low, slow dehydration ensures that there's the most bioavailable nutrients and an optimal texture. You're not going to break your teeth on a jerky here. You're going to bite into a meat pastry, if you will, this melty, airy, delivery that includes still that fat. One of my favorites cuts is the ribeye. They also have a pork loin, a New York strip. They have sliders in lamb, beef, and pork. They have brisket, leg of lamb, various cuts. And what I love to note is that the protein density per ounce is significantly higher than a raw or cooked meat where that water is really weighing things out. So because of that slow dehydration, an ounce of carnivore snacks can provide 13 to 19 grams of protein per ounce as opposed to seven grams of protein per ounce. So these are great to throw in your briefcase or your diaper bag or in your glove compartment of your car for your hungry teens or kiddos, um, toddlers, and kids, and even babies can kind of teeth on these as well. I, I know Maymay's yeah. had some carnivore snacks for sure over her first year of life. Uh, so go on over to carnivore snacks with an X. So C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-E-S-N-A-X.com. Use Allie Miller RD to save 15% off your order and you'll get free shipping on $125 or more. Make sure you're stocked for success in the new year with carnivore snacks. Yes, my kids crushed an entire bag of the brisket sliders. Um, we had a road trip this weekend and they just kept asking for more. And I was like, I feel good about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. it's a lot of protein, but I felt great about that versus like a chip or some puffs or some crap that you would hand to your kids in the backseat. And totally. Kept them kept them busy the whole drive. Right. All of those puffs and things just drive cavities and blood sugar irregularities and hanger and meat is so grounding. And, uh, that is one of my favorite hacks for keeping kiddos mellow and, uh, balanced moods. All right, let's get into it for today. So going back just to the basics for a moment, let's talk about what fasting is, which that one's pretty obvious. That's a softball for you. Don't eat. Um, (laughs) And then why we should consider it. Yes. So fasting is not eating, (laughs) taking periods of time away from food. And, you know, we look at ancestral trends of not always having access to food. And I think that this is a novel approach for many. And we think of hunter gatherer days that there was food scarcity. But actually, I had a a guest podcast today and I was talking to the gentleman on there and I said he was doing, he's like six foot, 100 and I don't know, 80 pounds or something like that and an ex-professional athlete. And he was talking about doing a 24-hour water fast and I said, well, here's the deal. Our ancestors for sure They fasted 24 hours, maybe even 36 hours when needed. And there are muscle sparing effects and definitely some benefits. But our ancestors were like sleeping under the stars. (laughs) They were in nature. They weren't polluted with industrial toxins. They weren't exposed to EMF. They weren't then refeeding with mitochondrial disrupting ingredients. And so I think that that's the part that a lot of people, when they look to these trends of, you know, health improving approaches to argue that, well, our ancestors for sure would go a full day without eating. I think that's absolutely factual, but 
the only time I would suggest a 24 hour fast is if you're also camping, cooking your own food over a campfire, sure. <laughs> like, right? Like all of that, like sleeping under the stars, your feet are on the ground. If you can manage a parasympathetic space outside of an industrialized society, maybe that fits. But the reality is, is that often the hormetic stressor of the fasting can actually in some individuals interfere with whole body wellness, driving too much of a fight or flight stress response and actually working against us instead of for us. Mm -hmm. And I see that with clients all the time where they're like, oh, toward the end of my fast, I get like really irritable. I get bitey yes. or my anxiety is skyrocketing, you know, in the morning now, what's going on? I'm like, well, you're fasting or you're just drinking black coffee. We need to like yeah. shut this down and maybe we do something more gentle like bone broth in mm -hmm. the morning to kind of ease into our day. Most definitely. And I think that brings up this concept of what comes next is, well, if I have bone broth, is that even fasting? Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so let's, uh, I'll unpack a little bit some of the benefits of fasting. And that's what the hope of today's episode is to really help to navigate some of these nuances and for listeners to maybe question, maybe we're in a fasting rut ourselves and we're overriding some of the natural feedback mechanisms of the body actually saying it's hungry or giving us signals or signs that our current fasting approach is not optimal and how we need to get off of white knuckling through that and pausing, listening, and recalibrating to honor our body's actual needs, not a health trend. Totally. Um, so yeah, benefits of fasting we see, you know, in the research, accelerated fat loss for sure. Um, we see reduced fasting insulin and insulin resistance. We see reduction of both cardiovascular and diabetes risk. We see autophagy or the cleanup of old faulty parts of our cells and kind of stuff we don't need. Um, and then we also see that promotion of human growth hormone, which can aid in maintenance of our muscle mass, even when we're not necessarily feeding it and helps with body composition shift. And I think that's where the literature gets a little sticky when mm -hmm. we're not looking specific to women. Yes, like yeah. men can actually produce a lot more HGH with calorie restriction than women can. And I think that's a huge faux pas is that women are assuming because they read it or heard it. And, and I've said that myself on the podcast that, you know, there is muscle sparing effects. So don't worry about wearing down your muscle mm -hmm. if you're calorie restricting or fasting. But I do think that women have less protective effects because we are higher fat dominant um, and we generally run lower muscle tone than men. And so we actually need to be more cognizant of the feeding process for women than we do for men. Men have a lot more flexibility, whereas women, we need to not over restrict and also women are much more sensitive to leptin, um, which is a satiety marker, which can really throw off sex hormone, thyroid, and so much more. So when we look at fasting, it can be broken down into various distributions. You know, one would be a 24 hour water fast or longer. Now, I would never recommend doing these unless you are medically supervised. And if at home doing a 24-hour fast, again, should at least have salt and electrolyte blend. And even so, if doing it in a modernized society doesn't make sense. Like if you want to do it as a 24-hour spiritual fast and you have a shaman and you're in the woods and you're camping, might be beneficial. Um, but to do it at home and be online and be in blue light... I just can't see that weighing out as far as the impact of sympathetic nervous system response. Um, you'd have to have also a lot of body fat reserves to see the benefit of why I would recommend a candidate do a 24-hour 
water type base fast. And then we go a little less restrictive to an OMOD, which is a one meal a day. Uh, and I may have talked prior on podcasts here about how, you know, it's very hard to assimilate and absorb the amount of protein grams we need in that one meal a day. Generally, we're kind of capped at around 40 to 50 grams of protein in bioavailability in most cases we see. Um, and so if we're looking to meet 80 grams of protein a day, we're going to probably need to break that in a minimum of two meals, which might look like a 24, so 20 hours fasting with a four-hour eating window. Um, or what's more classically seen and liberated a little bit more, which is a 16-8 or 16 hours not eating eight hour eating window and that eating window would ideally as we talked about in the circadian episode that eight hour window would ideally be like 7 a.m to 2 p.m instead of the classic more popular in today's culture which i fall victim to all the time the 12 p.m to 8 p.m mm-hmm. eating window as far as metabolic research shows sure um let's talk a little bit more on like the shortcomings of fasting and where it really can go wrong. So you mentioned the OMOD maybe not getting, you know, enough protein mm-hmm. in that timestamp and the water fast just being too stressful for mm-hmm. our modern environment. Um where else can we see it go wrong? Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is that fasting is setting us up for malnourishment and a caloric as well as micronutrient antioxidant deficit, right? So it's not just a calorie deficit, but we're also not getting the nutrients that the body requires biochemically to go through the physiological processes of optimal function, right? So our respiratory rate, our detoxification processes, our pathways in hormone metabolism from pregnenolone into progesterone, uh, our production of neurotransmitters from 5-HTP into serotonin requiring B6. You know, all of the mechanisms of the body require nutrients for function, and this could be in the form of a coenzyme, this could be in the form of an amino acid building block, this could be in the form of a mineral, a B vitamin, you name it. But if we are fasting, we're of course devoid of nutritional building blocks or the absolute players that we need to support the body's function. Now, there is some research that maybe endogenously or in the body, we might upregulate some antioxidant through a fasting process, but over time, that's going to flatline and bottom out if we're not restoring on a micronutritional level. So I think the big things is that we're devoid of nutrient density. So if we're talking about food as medicine, we're not getting food, which is important. So how can we get the medicine element? Um, We're definitely stressing the body and that hormetic stressor can be favorable or unfavorable. And that's what makes this very individualized of how hard to press that gas pedal of the fast or adjust that dimmer or uh, dial on the light switch, if you will. And so someone who's under a lower work stress mode, maybe is a single individual versus a mother of three um, and has good quality sleep and managed stress response and uh, you know healthy mental status could probably fast more than an individual that is waking up in the middle of the night with their children, um, is doing carpool, uh, like me listening to Taylor Swift in the morning, you know, whatever it is that takes you out of your normal (laughs) mental space. Yes. 
shake it off. Stella has the lyrics printed. And so it's been a thing. Um, and so, you know, I just think it's important to honor where we're coming from and know that fasting can be a stressor and that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And it's something that you're able to control unlike some of the other variables. Okay. So I think context, context, context is really Mm -hmm. where it comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to think about who is this applying to? You know, are we 60 pounds overweight with insulin resistance or are we, you know, 10 to 15 pounds overweight with elevated cortisol and like you said, not sleeping and maybe we have, you know, lots and lots of demands of three kiddos and a stressful job. And even then, based on the season, there might be times, you know, that are appropriate to fast or not, or to do a different version. Yes. And so I think one of the biomarkers when we're wondering like, okay, well, who am I? Where do I fit here? I think one thing to consider is checking in on our HPA access. So for participants in our 12-week keto class, in class three, we present them with an HPA access quiz, which actually looks at, are they in this fight or flight mode or are they in this, um, or, or excuse me, instead of fight or flight and rest and digest, we look at with the HPA access, are they in a, um, stressed and wired or a stressed and tired mode. And so we're looking at, is their adrenal gland in an overdrive mode or are their adrenal glands in a burned out, fatigued mode? And so just by looking at that, we can start to see an indicator of how to address their fasting because do they have capacity for an additional stressor? Yes or no. Um, And then we look at on lab values, the marker of leptin, which we include in our advanced metabolic panel. Um, and so in that advanced metabolic panel, we look at the thyroid. So we look at the thyroid stimulating hormone, the free T3, free T4. Uh, we also look at antibodies for Hashimoto's um, and seeing where the thyroid is at as well as leptin is a good indicator for whether fasting is appropriate because leptin is this hormone that translates to um, this sense of satiety. Um, in the Greek language, it, it translates to the word thin. Um, and we know that leptin goes beyond this idea of supporting satiety or regulating hunger in the body, but it actually is a safety mechanism. It it docks with our hypothalamus and there's leptin receptors on our thyroid, on our ovaries. And if leptin levels are too low, we really need to actually focus on a refeed and working on sympathetic regulation or getting into a parasympathetic space, regulating the stress versus upregulating another stressor of fasting. If someone's at a high leptin level, then we can actually ranch down their caloric restriction and or expand their fasting window because we're also likely seeing some of that insulin resistance. And so some fasting will actually create more of that insulin sensitivity and that leptin sensitivity and could be appropriate because there's that excess reserve seen in that value. Okay. Um, and so leptin would be one, you know, lab value or biomarker that we can actually see the impact of fasting. We could also see, you know, who might be a more appropriate candidate for fasting someone with that leptin resistance versus someone whose leptin is at a two and like yeah. totally depleted. Right. Um, let's unpack maybe some of the other biomarkers or the measurable elements, I guess, of fasting and some of those mechanisms. Yeah. So again, when someone's saying, well, does that break my fast? I'm like, well, what are you looking to see? Right? So one mechanism of fasting would be to upregulate lipolysis or body fat loss or 
fat metabolism. Lipolysis means to break fat cells uh, using water. And so when the body is calorie restricted or time restricted, it might have an upregulation of lipolysis. So one measurable marker of whether fasting is working for you or whether you're quote unquote doing it or getting results would be, are you losing body fat? Another thing we would look at as a metric for success with fasting would be bringing down your glucose levels in general as far as your average glucose and then also looking at your fasting glucose in the morning and how that shifts based on your fasting or the timing window of eating. So this could be something we could look at for data. We might even also look at a fasting insulin level um, because we know when we're fasting that we should see a reduction of both glucose and insulin as the hepatic glycogen stores get depleted, we should see more insulin sensitivity, increased fat oxidation, and these beneficial body composition changes. So testing in the blood sugar and fasting insulin could be something we could look at. We could look at actual ketone production. So does fasting enhance our BHB, our beta-hydroxybutyrate, and we're seeing more ketones in the urine or in the blood or in the breath as a biomarker? Are we seeing shifts in our muscle mass? Um, and so that HGH boost, um, do we see that when we fast, we actually have more muscle sparing or more strength um, or body composition is more favorable? Or do we see with fasting, and this is something I call to action for women, do we see when we fast more that we lose that muscle turgidity and that we get more of that hello Irma arm over the fence? And that again, we're better refeeding with protein for that metabolic muscle mass element. So check in there. Um, we could also look at inflammation as a marker with fasting. So testing like your high sensitivity C-reactive protein. Um, fasting could be a way to bring this down as we know that fasting itself can upregulate that autophagy, that cellular reset, and can bring down oxidative stress or inflammation. And we also could see with that autophagy or cellular reset, the addressing of uh, long viruses or um, things like Epstein-Barr or Lyme, keeping Lyme disease, for instance, in remission with fasting as a marker, um, because we can see with that autophagy a little bit more cellular immune regulation. And so that could be something that could be monitored. And then the last thing I would say would be um, also looking at the goals of fasting with cancer. Um, and so if looking for that autophagy and that starvation uh, support, that could be an area of focus of, of various biomarkers that we could track in that world, like even the sirtuins, which are, you know, these... Uh, compounds that basically are protective proteins that are produced when we have mild oxidative stress from fasting or calorie restriction. Okay, got it. So let's talk a little more about autophagy in particular. Um, this is always so interesting and, you know, a lot of new studies continue to come out really seeking to optimize this mechanism. And I think one of the reasons a lot of people turn to fasting is yeah. for the autophagy impact. Yeah. So I think what I would say is like, don't go for autophagy at the risk of sarcopenia. Um, and so what I mean by that is like, don't let one buzzword create mm -hmm. a chronic disease state that we know impacts all cause mortality. Um, sar sarcopenia would be muscle wasting. So what's interesting is autophagy is this you've said, Becky, like the like Pac-Men in the body, right? It's this cellular process 
that basically plays a role. It's in the Greek word. It means self-eating, autophagy. And basically it's our body recycling and replacing dysfunctional parts of cells or destroying viral compounds or other pathogens or even toxins that are in the body. The autophagy process can aid in detoxification, removing waste. It can also aid in, like I said, long haul viral infections, helping to get rid of these pathogens that were dormant maybe or were activated. And then we also know that autophagy can aid in identifying dysfunctional cells. So if there was dysplasia or tumor-like activity growth in the body, autophagy should be able to kind of survey and, and clean up and not allow that to go off kilter. But what's wild is I think we only think of autophagy in the world of intermittent fasting. And we see in research that various things can upregulate autophagy. And I think that's important to denote. Totally. Um, so one of them being exercise. Um, so yeah. I think that's a big kind of overlooked um, piece that could be, you know, subbed out for fasting even. Yes. And maybe more joyfully. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, again, especially if you're white knuckling your fasting or especially if you're someone whose stomach is grumbling and you're ignoring it, yeah. um, you know, again, or someone who's perimenopausal and is wanting to increase their muscle mass mm-hmm. or in their mid thirties and not perimenopausal and looking to increase their muscle mass, just had a baby and is looking to increase muscle mass, probably exercise with protein and consistent eating would be a better way to get the autophagy plus the metabolic goals and the mood stabilizing and thyroid harnessing than the fasting itself. So when I look at the primary impacts, yes, intermittent fasting is one. Um, and this is because restrictive eating schedules can activate autophagy in the body. Um, and again, that very much depends on the individual's body and the time frame. But exercise is lovely because when you stress your lungs, your muscles, and your cells through exercise, your body is going to fire up the autophagy process to help the recovery process from that stress. Um, And so, you know, these hormetic tears that you get from lifting weights, for instance, can actually, of course, drive more muscle fiber bundling and more robust muscle formation. And that process itself relies on autophagy. So you are getting that detox and cancer fighting property when you're pumping iron too. Okay. And we're not saying to do fasted exercise to be clear necessarily as a way, you know, it could be an either or approach. Yeah. Again, especially for women without Mm -hmm. as much HGH support, I think fasted exercise is really driving catabolism Mm -hmm. of liberating those amino acids from the torn muscle to be eaten by the body. So I would definitely advise against that for most females and even probably 50% of the males out there would do better with protein pre-workout. Okay. And then sleep. I like this one. Um, So sleep also, um, you know, we tell clients all the time, like that's where all of the good stuff happens Mm -hmm. in terms of like the detox processes, you know, your metabolism, everything. So autophagy also happening during that sleep period. Absolutely. Uh, So again, if you're skimping on your sleep and your fasting is driving more insomnia, that is not going to be a favorable move for your body. Okay. Um, And yes, we could have some combination or maybe um, two of the three of -hmm. those. Um, So any combination of these can support autophagy. And we tend to come back, you know, to this industrialized modern society that's shutting down a lot of functionality based on being overfed. 
stagnant or not moving a lot and then under rested. Yes. So again, it's a dial switch. So you don't have to go from overfed to not fed at all. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> you don't have to go from stagnant to running a marathon. Sure. You don't have to go from under rested to just laying in bed all day. Um, but finding a way to toggle these three areas back into balance is going to be ideal. And, you know, we talked early how we were going to talk about how it's beyond calories in, calories out. And that's what really layers in this other element of being fed toxins. Um, And I think that that's the biggest thing. We're starting to see more and more research coming out, looking at feeding studies, looking at population and understanding that maybe isocaloric intake or similar calorie intake from the 1960s versus the 2020s is actually metabolized completely differently because of glyphosate, because of other pesticides in our agriculture production, because of industrialized oils, and even fighting that over what was once discussed as sugar and fat. So we're seeing like, okay, well, there was as much bread and eggs and Mm -hmm. bacon consumed in these days, but what wasn't consumed was these chemically laden or highly adulterated food-like substances. And I think that that's really the foundation of our approach with food as medicine is once you're eating food as medicine and you're eating whole real foods or foods produced by God in nature versus made by man in a chemical plant, then we start to move these other dials. But I wouldn't pass go until we're actually eating whole real foods in the first place. Because, you know, why kind of run on this hamster wheel if you don't have the right tools in your tool belt? Sure. I think that's a really good point. Not breaking your fast with the drive through Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, yeah. it sounds dumb, yeah. but people yeah. do it right. all the right. time. Yeah. And then they're metabolically deprived of nutrients. Um, they're actually in this restrictive scarcity. And then they're kind of spilling over these um, chemical shitstorms that are really making them metabolically handicapped, not getting that metabolic flexibility like we saw with the hunters and gatherers. Sure. Because they ate whole real foods. Um, and I think important to note too, you know, we can get some of these benefits that we've talked about by doing a balanced ketogenic diet without going that deep into, you know, caloric restriction or time restrictive eating, which again, ultimately might be throwing the body into a more restrictive kind of lockdown mode. Yes. So when the body's actually producing ketones or making that BHB, that beta hydroxybutyrate, we see reactive oxygen species going down and less brain inflammation. We see greater satiety. Uh, We see significant grounding and mood stability, which can further support metabolic outcomes. We, of course, see easily clinical indicators of insulin sensitivity and insulin reduction, as well as glucose regulation. So I think that the ketogenic diet is absolutely, especially our food as medicine, more Mediterranean approach to the ketogenic diet is the first place to start. And then, you know, you might play with fasting based on your day, based on your activity factor, based on for women that are menstrual cycling, maybe during that follicular mode, but not during the luteal mode of their cycle when their metabolism is already up an extra 250 or so calories of burn. Um, And so there's all of this then nuance, but I think the most important foundation is absolutely getting ketosis approached with whole real foods. And then you're going to still see all of those various mechanisms of outcomes. Yes. Um, And then, like you said, there can be different types of fasts to support results. Um, And it's not, you know, 
a, it's not a light switch. It's a, a dimmer switch or a, a dial that can be turned up and turned down. Yes. Um, so maybe let's talk about those fasting types. And, you know, one thing we do say is that if playing with time restrictive eating, it might be best to first be fat adapted or at least low glycemic. So you're not having this big, huge dynamic swing in and swing out of ketosis. Right. So that would be the worst approach to fasting is to do so with a not a uh, balanced blood sugar approach or like having the Dunkin' Donuts frappe or whatever it would sure. be. <laughs> um, because that's going to continue to create dysglycemia in the body and work against all these mechanisms. So we in our 12-week keto class actually make sure that people approach keto first. And then that second week, we allow them to play with various forms of fasting. And we have protocols that once they select their protocol based on their lifestyle, their movement, their body composition goals, and any other therapeutic need, then within that protocol, they're going to have a choice of a fast tract a steady and sustain or a heal, maintain and gain. And that's where we see our breakdown of macronutrients based on caloric restriction. So for those that are doing the weight loss fast track and have a more aggressive caloric restriction, they may be fasting five days a week or daily, whereas someone in steady sustained that has a more moderate caloric restriction might be fasting two days a week. And someone in the heal, maintain and gain may not be fasting at all because we're actually looking at uh, maybe recovery from weight loss from an autoimmune flare or from cancer treatment or something else as far as a concern. So it's always important to kind of, again, think about where we are in our goal set. When we break down different forms of fasting, there is a pure fast, which would basically be consuming something five calories or less. Um, So like a negligible caloric impact. And this would be in the form of tea or coffee or just water, which would be true zero. Um, Now you will see people inappropriately doing a pure fast where they're adding in non-caloric beverages. So maybe they're adding stevia to their tea with a non-caloric sweetener there, or they're doing another form of like a crystal light, but maybe a new kid on the block brand of like a lemonade or something like that, that has zero grams of carbs and zero calories. Well, anytime we bring in a non-caloric sweetener, that's going to disrupt that insulin sensitivity, and that's also going to dysregulate the satiety factor. So make sure if you're doing a pure fast that you are only consuming tea or coffee or water, and salt would be optional, of course, and and recommended, um, but we're not adding any non-caloric sweetener. And this pure fast would really be more appropriate for men as well as women that have more than 30 pounds of weight to lose and are able to regulate their stress and sleep. Yeah, I think that's that's it. That's who does that kind of fast. Yeah, which is not the majority <laughs> not of our participants. the majority of people. Or yep. listeners. Yeah, yep. so... <laughs> Yes. The next kind of fast would be a fat-fueled fast. And, um, you know, this, I think, kind of was brought to light with like bulletproof coffee. Um, So a fat-fueled fast, I am more privy to, and I'm actually more privy to a protein-based fast, which we'll get to in a moment. But a fat-fueled fast can be appropriate for 
Um, definitely women that are running lower hormone um, for individuals transitioning into ketosis um, where we want to present fat as an easy to use fuel to start off their day. So we're kind of like putting the fat on the platter, if you will, saying, here body, make some ketones. Sure. And then you might go into the body fat as a reserve, but let's just start the day with olive oil, maybe butter, coconut oil, MCT, or heavy cream as something added into a beverage or olive oil just taken on the spoon or as you desire. Um, but this can be great for hormones for women if you are also keeping at meeting your body's calorie needs and not tightly calorically restricting um, and getting that fat first thing in the morning because our body requires fat to build hormone. Um, so this could be done in a refeed where you start your day with a fat-fueled fast and you actually are eating above your basal metabolic rate just to get ketone production going. Or this could be done for someone that still has some weight to lose and um, just to teach the body to use fat as fuel and kind of get that reprimed. Totally. Um, and then a protein fast. Let's talk about that. Yes. So a protein-based fast is more of a recommendation for individuals that have a muscle sparing need or have had loss of muscle mass and are looking for muscle maintenance or muscle gains um, and or are having a hard time meeting their protein goal throughout the day. Um, you know, if you're doing a fat fast or a pure fast and you're 20 grams of protein short chronically over time, that's going to hit your body unfavorably. So I'd prefer you get that 20 grams of protein right off the bat. Um, so protein-based fast could be done through a mug of bone broth. It could be done through three eggs or two to three eggs would be a reasonable choice there. So three eggs will give you 21 grams of protein, give or take. Um, this could be done with adding collagen or grass-fed whey to a beverage as well. And this would especially be for individuals that have, again, experienced some muscle loss. I tend to think a lot on the perimenopausal women. Um, and then I also am thinking of the postpartum women um, because you just gave so much of your nutrient density away to baby, even through the breastfeeding process. Um, so we're not going to restrict your calories at that time, but we're also going to want to make sure that you're prioritizing meeting your protein. So maybe kicking off with protein is the best way to kind of set the tone for the day. Yes, I think that's a very good point, um, especially, you know, if you're not hitting your protein goals throughout the day, which is hard to do if mm -hmm. you're doing any form of fasting. No doubt. No doubt. And then as we're getting kind of away from nuanced <laughs> definitions, there's a combo, um, which could be like adding coconut milk to your bone broth. So this mm -hmm. would be like a protein and a fat fast, right? Now, this is where someone's going to really be like, well, is this even a fast still? And I would say it's a fast if it is hypocaloric or lower than a full meal. Um, and so generally, if it's less than 400 calories and dancing more around like a 250, that's still some form of a lower dial than a full meal would be stated. And so yes, you likely will still have some of those mechanisms of fasting where you'll get some autophagy, some influence favorably on inflammation, and also on that insulin sensitivity. The only way this wouldn't count is if you're having that non-caloric sweetener and or a carb-based food. I would definitely say carbs break the fast. Again, is that nuanced as having one strawberry going to break sure. your fast yeah, yeah. versus having 30 to 40 grams of carbs? Likely when we're having actual carb choices and getting over 20 grams of carbs, that's going to disturb a fast because we will not get that insulin sensitivity response. And that's what kind of signals the fed state from the fasting state as the most dumbed down biomarker. Sure. 
Okay. And beyond these things being allowed, not allowed, you know, all of that questions that we get, um, all the time of like, does it break my fast? They might actually enhance the outcomes of said fast. So, you know, this could be something like the bone broth, as we mentioned, to aid in gut repair. This could be, you know, green tea with EGCG and catechins and, you know, L-theanine. Let's maybe dig into tea, which I know is a a ritual we're both working on doing more regularly um, as we're eagerly approaching the release of our naturally nourished tea line. Yes. Totally. Um, And I mean, I've seen the regular consumption of tea to be very favorable for skin health. Also, the more I rely on tea, the less coffee I consume, Mm -hmm. which is definitely appreciated by my adrenal glands, which then toggles down to my thyroid and my sex hormones. (laughs) So I think tea is a great abundance choice. And what I do love about tea is if we are fasting, we do know that many teas um, have served as elixirs in ancient cultures. They are powerhouses of antioxidant delivery. And so you're not getting nothing during that fasted mode. And teas can play a huge role with weight loss and hunger pangs. Um, and so we can absolutely see that green tea catechins have been shown in literature to lower ghrelin, which is like that opposing hormone to leptin. So ghrelin is the hunger hormone, and we've seen that green tea can actually suppress that. So doing something like that could help you in your fasting window. We also know that tea can aid in weight loss and even further reducing beyond body fat aiding in lowering LDL cholesterol. And we can see that in green tea uh, as well as in black tea. And green tea specifically has been shown in a lot of literature with that EGCG to support our um, abdominal fat, that visceral, which is the fat that's closer to the organs. Um, So that would other further enhance We've seen that tea can actually support the process of autophagy. Um, And so again, could be added in as an abundance element. I especially think of like our rooibos hibiscus blend there of something that can aid in the evening as a non-caffeinated option, bumping up beautiful antioxidants, supporting cardiovascular health, but also helping with that detox process. Um, We know polyphenols in general can be very favorable in battling free radicals. So they're reducing oxidative stress, regulating inflammation, and then that toggles into a whole world of healthier skin, improved digestion, improved mental clarity, and so much more. Um, And then even the stress, you know, reduction element, um, I think that's huge. And that's often an assignment that I give to clients um, if they're having like a lot of nighttime anxiety or maybe they're munching or you know eating after dinner and just kind of mindlessly snacking to fill a void Um, I have them make themselves a cup of tea remove themselves from the kitchen maybe they go read a book or Mm -hmm. listen to you know a meditation or bring their tea mug and take a hot bath um, with Epsom salts or something to even further enhance detox and relaxation right Um, but I think it can kind of seal the deal on the day, if you will, too, where it's like, I want something, um, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a bag of chips or munching and crunching. Right. And, and then going for priming to start the day off with tea, I think is fantastic as well, because we get that suppression of ghrelin and that can hold us through the day. We get that L-theanine, which is a compound in our calm and clear. Um, and you know, L-theanine does help to modulate our alpha brainwaves. So if we are, 
getting L-theanine through the calm and clear and green or black tea that's going to further the process of autophagy because we're going to get better quality sleep. We're going to have less anxiety or fight or flight stress response, which means that the body is overall functioning in a better status. Totally. Um, so we talked green tea a lot. Um, do you feel like that's the best option or are there redeeming factors, I guess, to other teas? Yeah. So, and we can talk about our three flavors, I suppose. Yeah, let's do um, so yeah, I mean, I think that green tea is the most widely researched um, and has a lot of the traditional medicine benefits that we hear, again, EGCG and catechins. Um, but black tea is just a fermented form of, you know, the, the green tea leaf. So black tea actually has more caffeine. Um, black tea has something called methyl xanthine, which can actually boost serotonin levels. So for individuals looking for more mood support, uh, a black tea can be favorable. And because of that fermentation, black tea also tends to be a little bit less bitter and a little bit less nausea driving. For some individuals, green tea can drive a little bit of nausea. Um, and so we have three different blends in our naturally nourished line. We have a green flower power, uh, which is a jasmine green tea blended with five different botanical flowers. And we're going to do a tea episode coming up, so I won't go through all the types of flowers in there, but really lovely. Some of them have nervine effects. And so you're getting both the L-theanine of the jasmine green tea, plus the combination of the relaxing and, and just floral beautiful elements of the flower all blended there. Um, and that would be a great like midday or starting off your day. We have a black tea with an Asana biodynamic Indian black tea base. And uh, this has rose petal and lavender in there. So again, just kind of harnessing that caffeine and supporting some nervine elements. And then we have a hibiscus blend with rooibos. So super high antioxidant. We've seen beautiful studies on rooibos as a detoxifying compound at aiding in improving circulation. We know that rooibos is lovely in supporting liver health and can also support in body fat burn without having the caffeine. So it could be a great one, like you said, in the evening. And then hibiscus is a great hypertension tool aiding in lowering blood pressure as well as cardiovascular benefits. So you could sip on all three of the naturally nourished teas throughout the day sure. yeah, and yeah. like level that up with a bone broth fast, a green smoothie, and one clean meal and have a really rockin' start out the bat for 2024. Totally. Um, and you could even add collagen mm -hmm. in there, right? Um, that would make it a simple combination and, and reaping all the benefits of that. Um, speaking of which, does collagen interfere with your fast? Yes. So, I mean, we're, we're getting back in this circulating thing. So hopefully as you're listening, you could say, no. <laughs> you know, again, the idea is that you're adding a little bit of protein. You're adding amino acids to your tea if you're adding in collagen. Um, and there is some literature out there about collagen synthesis being suppressed by caffeine. So potentially adding collagen to the rooibos hibiscus would be the most therapeutic way to upregulate collagen synthesis in the body. Um, but collagen is going to be giving us amino acids minus tryptophan. Um, so we're getting otherwise all of the other amino acids or protein building blocks. 
And it's important to note that again, protein does not have a remarkable impact, especially in the amount of 12.5 grams, like a scoop of our pure collagen, or even if you were doing two scoops, you know, 30-ish grams of protein, even if you're doing a scoop of grass-fed whey and a scoop of pure collagen, is not going to have a remarkable impact on insulin, on our insulin growth factor, on mTOR, or any other markers of anabolism, building, and rapid growth. Um, we really look at the glucose spike and the carbohydrates to have the most remarkable impact on interfering with these mechanisms of fasting. So there was actually some really solid research done by Dr. Benjamin Beekman, and he looked at mTOR activation in white blood cells and noted that it will vary based on many factors, but if insulin increases, that that will increase mTOR about four times higher, even when compared to the most anabolic or building of the amino acids, which is leucine, which is why we always say grass-fed whey is best for muscle maintenance. And a lot of the research out there of like why the vegan diet for cancer or don't eat protein is based on mTOR. Um, because again, mTOR is an anabolic building mechanism in the body. Um, again, though, if we see insulin has a four time increase on mTOR compared to the most anabolic amino acid, we don't need to be concerned about moderate protein, quote unquote, interfering with fasting. Whereas we would have to be concerned about moderate carbs interfering with fasting. Yep. Um, and, you know, potentially driving other unfavorable effects for right. sure. Yeah. Right. No doubt. I mean, when our blood sugar goes up, remember, not only do we get an insulin response, but that excess calorie impact gets stored as fat. And by suppressing the insulin or regulating our insulin response and our glucose levels through ketosis, we can still ensure that the body is in a, you know, fed state, not deep caloric restriction, get all the benefits and still maintain optimal metabolism. Sure. Um, and then, you know, we could add in other therapeutic foods if we're looking to um, support reduction of, of mTOR as well. Um, so thinking about doing, you know, like a golden bone broth or a golden milk latte, adding turmeric um, can suppress mTOR or taking the super turmeric supplement um, would independently support mTOR reduction and um, have anti-inflammatory and restorative impact as well. Absolutely. So something like that will even see benefits from like broccoli sprout. So that's where I would lean into like super turmeric, broccoli detox as supplemental tools mm -hmm. if a strong history of, of family cancer or looking at that as a personal area of approach. Okay. So before we move on, let's just real quick hit on like who absolutely should not fast and what for that individual a metabolic refeed could look like. Sure. So someone that is underweight should not fast. Someone that has been fasting and is not seeing results should not fast. Now that's probably the largest population that I would hit. Uh, and then someone that has, as we said earlier, suppressed leptin or adrenal insufficiency or adrenal excess output. So either very low cortisol where they're on pregnenolone and adrenal bovine compound like our adrenal support 
uh, or high cortisol levels. So until we can harness that HPA access, we don't want the body to worry about food security as an additional stressor. So definitely check in on your HPA access. Consider running the Labrix Neurohormone Complete Plus panel to learn more about your sex hormones, your adrenals, and your neurotransmitters. And then, you know, again, if you take a spot in our keto class, we will help you determine who's an appropriate candidate. But I would say for listeners, if you've been doing it and you're seeing stagnation and not seeing results, maybe consider running your leptin levels as insight there, or just consider a metabolic refeed. And that kind of follows a lot of what we talked about in our leptin episode recently. I can't think of the name of it. Um, but we dug deep into leptin and talked about how to rebound low leptin levels. And so a lot of those principles will link that episode. If you are someone that would be not a candidate for fasting, um, things like making sure you get natural sunlight early in the day, you participate in grounding, but we generally are going to want you to get 20 grams of protein within the first hour of rise. And then we're going to want to make sure that you are meeting your daily protein goals distributed through three or four times of eating and that we're not restricting more than a 10 hour eating window. So, you know, this could be something like from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. of an eating window. And we wanna provide more consistent cadence in a metabolic refeed so that the body can feel safe. Uh, It can have ample fat. So we're gonna use quality, healthy fats throughout this approach. At least 50% of your caloric macro is coming from fat, if not slightly higher. Um, And then that protein being around 30%. And then carbs can still say moderate, but some individuals we actually even have to carb cycle in a metabolic refeed, especially if they come from a long history of disordered eating or excessive exercise or have shown gland or hormone imbalance of too much caloric restriction, then we actually have to refeed them and shift them to like a low glycemic diet before we would put them into a tighter keto. And again, even participating in our 12-week keto program, we might find a candidate, and we do often, where we say, okay, we actually want you to start in this phase two approach instead of phase one, and you can absolutely still do that while following our program and having that support. Totally. Yeah, three meals a day. Crazy. I know, right? <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. It's novel. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, something we've been doing recently, which is kind of a modified bone broth fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was with our five-day detox express um, that we came out with as kind of a Black Friday little bonus download, um, if you will, that you know, turn into an ebook of yeah. sorts with some recipes. Um, but just a way to do a modified fasting approach that actually for some individuals is probably more than they're currently feeding themselves, right? Yes. And they might see that whooshing of weight loss because again, the body stops white knuckling and hanging Mm -hmm. on for dear life. So this five day detox express is really an approach. If you can't in your calendar fit in the full 10 day protocol, or you're stressing out about the kale salads and or the various recipes that are in our detailed 10-day food is medicine detox, the five-day detox express is really simplified. It's uh, at minimum two cups of bone broth, but an option of an additional two cups of broth as a snack. That broth could be subbed out for tea for sure if you wanted to go a little bit tighter or hypocaloric. And then it still includes a green smoothie with a scoop of our grass-fed whey. So you're actually getting that bone broth right off the bat with about 15 to 
20 grams of protein. Then you're getting a green smoothie with another 22 to 25 grams of protein in there and a lot of antioxidants and phyto compounds from things like berries or ginger, turmeric, cinnamon. And then we would have that option of two cups of broth or tea midday and then an evening meal of about five to six ounces of biological protein. So this could be a steak, this could be a wild salmon filet, this could be um, pan-seared bone-in skin-on chicken thighs, and then this is going to be served with a half to one cup of non-starchy cruciferous vegetables, uh, and then option of leafy greens if you didn't include them in your smoothie. Could also do a side salad and then have that delivery for olive oil and other nourishing ingredients. Um, so very simple, it could be dumbed down as broth, green smoothie with naturally nourished whey, broth or tea, one meal. Um, and doing that for five days is often enough to give yourself enough nourishment to keep the wheels churning on your metabolism, but also to see some of that deficit, to see the benefits of fasting. And yes, remember, we see outcomes from caloric restriction, from ketosis, from time-restricted eating, from exercise, and from sleeping. And so you're hitting a lot of that world through this five-day detox express. Totally. It would be kind of our, our solution to like these fasting mimicking diets that we're mm -hmm. seeing also popular and they have like total crap ingredients. Oh, like Prolon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can um, call it out. When I, when I look at that, um, I don't have the ingredient list in front of me, but we could probably pull it up real quick. I know I have like rescued clients from it time and time again, but yes. I guess what I'm saying is this five-day detox express could really be a fasting mimicking diet where you're nourished and you're not also having to spend, it looks like it's $190 or something like that for three days. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be expensive and, um, just doesn't have the best ingredients. And going back full circle, it doesn't have that foundation exactly of food as medicine or whole real foods. So it's like these powdered packs, if you will. I'm trying to find some of their best sellers. So let's see here in the protein shake, we're looking at the start of almonds, macadamia nut, chicory root fiber, tapioca starch, coconut palm sugar. So we're already getting a sugar in here. Um, cognac citrus fiber, natural flavors, flaxseed, sea salt, vegetable and fruit blend. Uh, we have the Reboside M, which is going to be stevia extract and rosemary extract. And again, this fasting shake does not have any protein. So it really seems like they're going into this suppression of protein and misreading the mTOR literature um, because this only has three grams of protein and 15 grams of carbs, 17 grams of fat. So it looks like most of their foods are fat dominant, which I'm no problem with that, mm -hmm. but they definitely don't have enough protein um, and have too many carbs if we're looking for that insulin sensitivity and reset. Totally. Um, so it's, you know, hypocaloric, like we said, but way too many carbs um, and not going to support, you know, your actual muscle tissue. Right. And then I'm trying to find their actual protein choice. So they have a protein shake coming soon. Um, but I'm not seeing really much going on in the world of protein. So mm -hmm. I would argue that this would actually have more of that muscle wasting effect and really not whole food based. Yes. Those powdered products 
just can't last for too long. And that yeah. just really feels like a quote unquote diet. It feels yeah. very 1990s yeah. to me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. So if you're curious, you can check out our five-day detox express, which is currently connected to our Reset, Restore, Renew detox packs. So if you purchase those, you will get an email with the PDF for this five-day detox express. And that'll give you a little taste of how you can use caloric restriction, time-restricted eating, and these ideas of fasting still in a nourishing food as medicine approach. And it is important that when we are in a form of fat liberation, that we do provide our body the nutrients in our detox packs because our toxins are stored in our fat cells. So when we are losing body fat and we're upregulating that liberation, we want to have those phase one and phase two detoxifying nutrients and an antioxidant blend like you get in our Reset, Restore, Renew detox packs. So taking a pack on your modified fasting days or like we do in this five-day detox express, we take a pack at rise and a pack at, at bed all five days, option of even adding in a third pack to really get that oil change of the filter of our liver and kidneys. And that can really yield even more metabolic results like we saw in our keto testimonial. Because when you love your liver and your liver's working for you, your liver, remember, also is regulating your glucose and the organ that produces ketones. So that's a really important piece of the puzzle for many. Um, and so if all of this fasting talk struck a chord or you're looking to maybe shake things up and just do your keto a little bit differently, I think our 12-week ketosis program is really the uh, you know one-size-fits-most um, solution where there is such an individualized approach and we will yes. guide you much more so um, individually. You know, we let everyone kind of post their individual stories on Slack and, and they can ask questions of like, is fasting appropriate for me? Or I'm choosing steady and sustained and I'm only going to fast three days a week and I'll do it with bone broth. Is this appropriate? And we can kind of give that feedback and reassurance to, which I think a lot of people need <laughs> to yeah. change things up, right? I think we're all about clear as mud, you know, as we wrap up this sure, episode yeah, yeah. of where to start. And so what's lovely about the 12-week program is Becky and I may create a protocol or modify something you're doing, see how it works for two or three weeks, and you have enough continuity with us over that three-month window to troubleshoot, try something else, give us information about how your body responded, us to maybe highlight something to modify or adjust, or maybe changing again, timing of eating, macros, maybe upping protein, reducing fat, or shifting supplement strategy. And we love taking this individualized approach with each of you. That's why we limit the class to 100 participants. Uh, it allows us enough touch point to make sure that everyone has that direct interaction with us. And we can't wait to have you in. So I hope you'll join us. Go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. Choose the live January class if you're listening to this timely. And we will see you on January 10th. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.